Good morning. I'd love for you now to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the 43rd Psalm. And what we noticed last week is that we are combining two Psalms, aren't we? Because Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are really meant to be one entity. What you're going to find is a recurring theme, a recurring phrase found in these Psalms. You're going to see it in 42. Where in verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You're going to see the same when you got to the very end of Psalm 42. And lo and behold, what you're going to find today is that for a third time, and that phrase is going to appear very end of this particular Psalm, Psalm 43. What we are talking about as we pull these two Psalms together is a form of what is known, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones penned it this way, he was the physician turned pastor of Westminster Chapel in London as a spiritual depression. And one form of spiritual depression is the downcast soul. We want to distinguish this from biological matters. For example, it's very possible that something has gone wrong in what's known as the endocrine system, and one needs to be checked out by an endocrinologist. Or it could be that something has gone wrong genetically and you will need some testing. So there's the biological components but there are also spiritual components. And the challenge is twofold. Not to over-spiritualize matters of depression. And not to under-spiritualize matters of depression. Over-spiritualization occurs when it's primarily a medical, a biological need that needs to get checked out. But if it's under-spiritualized, then we may not be taking into account just what might be occurring in the whole cosmic realm of the spiritual matters of life. Now, you and I realized last week that there were some outstanding people used by God over the course of time that battled some form of spiritual depression in the Bible. Elijah is a classic example. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 19. David, you will find him expressing himself this way repeatedly in the Psalms. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, wasn't he? And furthermore, you get into the Newer Testament, and you will find that John the Baptist, great rugged man, nonetheless, here's an individual when he was imprisoned, seemed to have become so disillusioned disoriented, that he needed to get his bearings. He was in a downcast soul state. So what I want to do is staple, so to speak, Psalm 42, Psalm 43 together. And if you didn't have a chance to participate in the worship experience when we were involved last Sunday in Psalm 42, you want to check it out online and pull these thoughts together. Because we're in essence now building off of what we covered last week, where at the very end of Psalm 42, the psalmist who is in exile 
It's far removed from his home turf in Israel. And he's longing to be back among his people, his favorite place, and doing his favorite things. Finds himself in such desperate state that he would cry, why are you cast down, O my soul? In other words, he engaged in what we'll call self-counsel. He is going within, and now he is counseling his soul. Why are you in turmoil within me? The antidote, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. You see now an example of hope? He's got a tomorrow for his today. My salvation, my God, that's very personal. That's how he ended, and that's how we ended last week. So it's very important to see what the last verse was all about, because you and I now are building off of that. These two psalms are meant to be tied together, so you pick it up where the psalmist left off in just five verses, found in Psalm 43, he pens these thoughts. Vindicate me. Oh God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Notice the dual question. Why have you rejected me? Question mark. Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Question mark. Pause. At this point, what I sense is that there is a change in tone. In many ways, this now is the turning point in the two-part series. It's verse 3. Send out your light on your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Notice how he shifted from a question mark of verse 2 to an exclamation mark in verse 3. Then I will go to the altar of my God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre. Oh God, my God. And now for the third time in these two psalms, meant to be tied together, he now states in the form of a question, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Connect the two why questions of verse 5 to the two why questions of verse 2. You're pulling it together. Antidote, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. We're going to explore just five verses, Psalm 43, in our moments together this morning. And before we spend time in God's word, we're going to take some moments. I would encourage those online Join us. Quiet moments. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer in the privacy or privacy of your heart. And we're going to be uplifting now the whole matter of the Ukraine. Before God, 
we're going to be interceding privately, quietly within our hearts. And then in an appropriate moment in time, I'll pray as we enter into this study. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and begin to pray. Now, Father, we're praying for the decision-makers in Russia. We're praying as we enter into intercessory prayer with the global community of believers. In one accord, we're entering into the throne room, the cosmic throne room, and we're asking you to intervene as we intercede. Work within the mindset of Mr. Putin, with the oligarchy in Russia. Stir their hearts, open their minds, shed light, and bring truth. Overwhelm them with a the sense that there's one greater than they, than they who reigns sovereignly over this world, who sent Jesus to die even for their sins. Bring solutions to peace within their mindset even now. In the Ukraine, we pray for Mr. Zelensky, a Jew, the leader of the Ukraine. May he find that his ethnic bearings of origin take him back to the one who chose to use the Jews as a means of bringing Messiah into this world. May his heart be stirred in the bombings. I pray that he might be able to recall some of his older Testament studies and find that there was a Messiah spoken of all throughout the Old Testament that would come from the Jewish race. They would bring ultimate peace to this world through his shed blood. We pray for a peace initiative. And should there be a sit-down, a meeting of the minds, 
We pray, Lord, that in a very extraordinary way, knowing that your grace is sufficient, that you will take those that might at this moment politically find themselves diametrically opposed to one another and find common ground in the fact that all were made in the image of God. All need Messiah Jesus as Savior, Lord. And out of this, Father, may we find that you have broken in and made a difference. What we pray politically, we now pray individually. Pray for those that came here to one of these services today or participating online, whether it be today, this Sunday, or in the days to come, who are grappling with what we discussed, studied last week's 11 verses, and now anticipating the five verses of this week. This spiritual depression, the downcast soul, work, Show them that you've used Elijah's and Jeremiah's and David's. You've used John the Baptist. That this is not a matter of spiritual immaturity or backslidden states. There are those who are mature in Christ that find that their, that their emotional state has been hijacked for a period of time and they're wondering what hit, what went wrong. I pray now, Father, in a very unique way that you would intervene so that the downcast soul does not create a downward spiral. But rather there is an upward sense that there's a sovereign God who cares deeply to send Jesus to die for his sins, her sins. And that he's at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for them. So, Father, we uplift this matter into your care. So these moments are important as we tie together Psalm 42 of last week with Psalm 43 of today. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we pray these things to again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson, gifted, gifted expositor from Great Britain, uh, reminds us of the story of Martin Luther, who was spiritually depressed. He, Luther, was the 16th century reformer and needed to be reminded by his wife Catherine of the state that he was in. And then seeing that he was unresponsive to any word of encouragement that she could offer, she decided to do something dramatic. And so one morning, Catherine appeared dressed in black funeral clothes. No word of explanation as to why. And Luther, who had heard nothing of anybody passing away in the congregation, asked, Catherine, why are you dressed in mourning black? Someone has died, she replied. Died, said Luther. I haven't heard of anybody dying. Whoever could have died? 
and pausing and then looking at her husband, strategically phrasing her words effectively, it seems, she said, it seems that God must have died. And Luther, we are told, took the point. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he knew that he had to accept the fact that the one who had sent Jesus to die for sins is the one who would give him the hope to see himself through the today in order to embrace the coming tomorrow. Are you doing that? If you and I were to spend any time in the catacombs in Europe, you would find that in the catacombs there is an anchor that tends to be a symbol that was associated with believing faith. It's tied from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, where according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what he wants to do is to instill within your heart and in my heart the idea that this one, this one who has caused us to be born again, doesn't stop there. He's caused you and he's caused me to be born again to a living hope. And so if you feel like hope is flickering this morning, if it seems as though the light is being extinguished, I want you to re-engage with Psalm 42 and 43. This doesn't mean if you have grappled with or are currently grappling with the case of the downcast soul, that's a sign of unbelief or a sign of spiritual immaturity. Because this was one who pursued God who penned these thoughts as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, he would state in 42 verse one. Three distinctives I wanna draw out as we now pull together last week's study with this week's study as we continue in our teaching. And first of all, out of verses one and two, as you and I, as we consider the nature of the downcast soul, it's a form of spiritual depression. Note the appeal that's here is being made. He's going to make an appeal now to this cosmic God, the sovereign one of the universe. And notice how it begins. It begins with legal terms. And you're going to ask, why? There's a reason here. He says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people, 
from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. There was a forerunner to this approach to prayer. It was Job. He lived in the time period of Genesis. When you read very carefully the book of Job, and it took us a long time, those that were here on Sunday mornings, to get through the book of Job. What Job would do is that he would make his appeal in his suffering to the cosmic judge of the universe. He was seeking, if you will, a court setting whereby he could make his case. This is what is happening here. This man who is in exile at this point, though far removed from Jerusalem, is now making his case to the cosmic sovereign one of the universe. And evidently part of the reason why he has experienced this downcast soul has to do with the oppositional element around him. Book 2 of the Psalms deals more with the universal scope. That's why G-O-D rather than L-O-R-D tends to be emphasized and in the Hebrew, G-O-D is Elohim, not Yahweh. So now he's using more of a universal approach of appealing to God in this setting outside of the boundaries of Israel. He's saying, in essence, I'm away from my kind of people. I'm away from my favorite place. I am far removed from what I would prefer to be doing. So now, what does he do? He goes vertical, he looks upward, and he's saying, vindicate me. Evidently, then, it seems as though he's being accused of things by those around him. It bears repeating, as we noted in the book of Job. False assumptions lead to false accusations. If these people were belittling his faith and accusing him of things because He's in this kind of state of mind, heart, soul. He needs God now to break in and vindicate him. Vindicate me, O oh God, and defend my cause. Again, that is a legal term. He's bringing it into the court. Against whom? Those that are seeking to prosecute him. Against an ungodly people, he might be looking at those that are challenging his faith. From the deceitful and unjust man, he's saying in essence, this is unfair, this is unjust. And now, and now with an exclamation point. <sighs> Deliver me. Ever been there? God. Deliver me. Rescue me from this situation I now find myself in. I thought after these many years I'd be in a different place among a different people, having a different experience than what I am going through at this moment in time. Life has been a series of losses more so than gains if I were to pull out my calculator. But then you begin to ponder. For you see, most of the psalms were born in difficulty. Most of the epistles were written from prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts, greatest thinkers of all time 
had to pass through the fire of life. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which I quoted from last week, he wrote from jail. Florence Nightingale, we've referenced in prior weeks, brilliant nurse, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized the hospitals of England. The semi-paralyzed Louis Pasteur was tireless in his attack on disease. What God does is that he will actually use that form of oppression and turn it into a means of opportunity. So if you're feeling oppressed by life, could it be an opportunity given in life? The oppressions of life could very well be the opportunities in life to turn loss into gain. This is what God delights to do with his people. You're up to verse 2 now, aren't you? He makes a declaration. For you are for you are the God in whom I take refuge. You say, you got it. You've seized it. And so here you are over here, you think it's three steps forward, no two steps back at this moment. We're moving ahead. And then what does he do? Double whammy. Too wise. Why have you rejected me? And you say, huh? Didn't you just declare you are the God in whom I take refuge? Then lo and behold, spiritual whiplash. Why have you rejected me? And if that's not enough, another why. Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Ah, psalmist, turn the oppression of life into the opportunities in life. How can I use this for God's glory? Don't waste the downcast soul moment. Invest the downcast soul moment. He entered into the room, the hospital room. Paul Cedar, former president of the Evangelical Free Church of America. His father was on his deathbed. As Paul entered into the hospital room, stopped at the door as he heard his father in a semi-audible way Calling out to God, say, Why God? Why God? Paul stopped because he'd never had heard his father question God before. He'd seen God work in powerful ways. What do you say? How do you counsel? What do you do? Sometimes you got to let them complete their thoughts. Why God? Why have you been so good to me? Been there? 
Let people finish their sentences. Don't barge in too soon. A moment of grace awaits. There are two wise here, and it's whiplash. He's made this declaration, you are the God in whom I take refuge. But then the double wise, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why? The mature believer says, why not? I am a sinful man, you know. I'm a sinful woman, you know. But then the sinless one would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you realize that maybe God is doing something here that goes far beyond ground level. You know the story. Great Depression. Man has endured all kinds of heartbreaks, of loss. Lost his job. Lost his wealth. Mother and wife passed away. Lost his home. Really, the only thing he had left was his faith. But then one day, he, he, he stopped. And sometimes you got to stop in life. Stopped to watch some men doing stonework on a church. And one craftsman was chiseling an unusual shaped piece of rock. Question. What are you going to do with that? With that, he asked the worker. Response. Do you see that small opening way up there next to the spire? The worker began to answer. Well, I'm shaping this down here so that it will fit up there. People, that's what God is doing with you. He is shaping you down here so that you will fit up there. But what I also want to say is a word of encouragement because I want to encourage people. He is shaping you down here so that others who are watching the shaping are prepared to join you up there because of the impact that you are having to counter the downcast soul. You refuse to buy into the notion that a downcast soul leads to a downward spiral. You recognize the upward spiral and you go vertical on everybody. And they wonder where you get such strength and where in the midst of it all can you possess such hope. But then you re-enter the catacombs. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. 
And then he nodded at what Peter said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, but doesn't put a period there, to be born again to a living hope, you see. And you see, okay, I'm going to take the oppression and turn it into an opportunity. I'm going to take the chiseling from below and turn it into an opportunity to not only be well fit for what's up there, but also that others can experience why chiseling occurs so that they too can join me up there. You got it. You did it. Okay. You've covered verses 1 and verse 2. You're making progress. Now you're up to verses 3 and 4 in the second distinctive because you and I, as we consider the nature of the downcast soul, not only then are we pondering the appeal that is being made, but furthermore, the guidance, the guidance that is being sought. Now, what I want you to see, and what we stated a little bit earlier, this is the turning point. I want you to be able to grasp the change of tone that happens as the words appear on the screen at this point. Verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. He had two whys. Okay. We're going to match those two whys now with two resources. Send out your light and your truth. Evidently, he's living in a darkened setting among darkened people. He needs light. Furthermore, in a context of lies, whether it be regionally or globally, your truth. And furthermore, once he has grasped the significance, the value of combining light and truth, then he combines the light and truth with the two lets. Let them lead me. Let them bring me. Where? Oh, he's got something in mind. To your holy hill. And to your and to your dwelling, you see. Happened during the French Revolution. You see, there were political prisoners who were simply herded into dungeons. And in one place, a prisoner, he possessed a Bible. Well, the cell was crammed with men who wanted to hear the word of God. So here's what happened. Once each day, but only for a few moments now, there was the shaft of light that would come through a tiny window in the ceiling. Well, the prisoners devised a plan whereby they would lift the owner of the Bible onto their shoulders and into the light. And there in that position, he would study the scriptures. Then they would bring him back down and said, Tell us, what did you read? while you were in the light. Now what I want to say this morning is that if you feel like 
you're in the dark. And some of us are there. And you love Jesus and you're wondering, but why? What did you learn in the light to counter what you're currently experiencing in the dark? To put it another way, never doubt in the dark what you learned in the light. You see? Once you've grasped that, it allows you to go places you never thought you could go. Do things you never thought you could do. But notice where he goes for this guidance. To God. Send out your light, your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. So now he's countering the two whys with the two lets. No more whiplash from this point on that you spotted in verse 2. Instead, notice the determination, which is not necessarily a distinctive of those who are spiritually depressed. But when you are making your way out of the darkness and into the light, what you will find is that there is a renewed energy with every step that you take out of the dark and into the light. And now, I love this. He's bringing a sense of tomorrow into his today, which you need to do. You need to bring the hope of tomorrow into the realities and the challenges of today. In verse 4, then I will go, not I might. I will go to the altar of God, to God. Mark this in your Bible. My exceeding joy. Isn't that great? In the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But what we find is that when we're going through darkened times and we're on low energy, what we need is that exceeding joy to break in and provide the strength that we've been lacking. There seems to be musical inclinations wrapped up in this man. We spotted it last week. Musically, he led people in worship in Psalm 42. He'd been looking back at those wonderful worship experiences, corporate gatherings of praise. Now he combines the yesterdays of corporate with the tomorrows of corporate, I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, I will praise you with the lyre. And then I'd love the way he connects, oh God, with the phrase, my God. When William Sangster was experiencing a progressive, uh, degenerative, condition in his, muscle, in his muscles, making it harder and harder on him to breathe. It's a medical term. I won't get into it. He made these four notes in his journal. Number one, I will never complain. 
Number two, I will keep the home bright. Number three, I will count my blessings. Number four, I will try to turn even this into gain. He's got an upward approach to this. Chiseled down here for what he anticipates up there. You're processing. He is moving forward. Maybe it's no longer going to be three steps forward, two steps back. The appeal that he, that's being made in verses 1 and 2 is combined with the guidance that's being sought in verses 3 and 4, but one more distinctive, of course. Because thirdly, the hope that's being prescribed is wrapped in verse 5 and connected with what you and I saw last week in, in Psalm 42, verse 5, and again in verse, in verse 11. And now, what you've done, you've taken the two whys of verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And what do you do? You counter them now. You counter them with the two whys of verse 5. You doing that? Why are you cast down, O my soul? In other words, now, this is self-counsel. He has already grasped the idea of the light and truth being the means by which he is able to take the situation that seems like loss and turn it to gain. So now, two whys. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Number one. Why are you in turmoil within me? Number two. And now, and now the antidote, you see it here. For the third time, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's now, he's now looking not only upward but forward. I shall again praise him. And then reiterates my salvation on my God. And have you pondered this? And this is how he ends. There is no more whiplash. No more verses. He ends on the high note, not the low note. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation on my God. Tristan Bernard lived from 1866 through 47, 1947. He and his wife were interned by the Gestapo during World War II. When arrested, Bernard told his wife, quote, the time of fear is over. The time of hope has come. He survived the concentration camp and we're told it was a hope that instilled confidence with regard to his tomorrow. When you tie 42 and 43 together, you are bringing living hope into your current situation. And God has a beautiful tomorrow just waiting for you.
Let's stand together. And so, Father, we're trying to handle this thing biblically. We are the first to say that depression is a big umbrella. There are biological factors. It might be endocrinology. It might be genetics. Then again, there might be historic factors. Trauma in the past. Unexpected loss. That could readily and easily paralyze and keep us from anticipating our tomorrows because we're too busy living in our past. And it drains us. So now, Father, you've been chiseling. You've been shaping. Others are watching. I pray now that we will get our arms around 42 and 43. Embrace it. So it's a spiritually mature person who penned these thoughts in a downcast state. And use these in such a way it can create high impact for people today, giving them hope for tomorrow. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.